our voice. Our future. Join us as we explore the real power of Youth Rising. Youth Rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Welcome to Youth Rising by NCS, the podcast for young people by young people. In this podcast, you hear youth-driven stories from right across England about the issues that matter to young people right now. Each episode, we'll be covering two stories ranging from environment, mental health, social justice, plus equality and diversity. From the editorial, reporting, editing, this podcast is run by a group of 16 to 19-year-olds. This podcast is happening all thanks to NCS, the summer program for 16 to 17-year-olds that helps turn all those no-you-can'ts into no, we can. Hi, I'm Muslim Ahmed and I'm one of your hosts. In this episode, we'll be focusing on men's mental health. Just over three out of four suicides are by men and suicide is the biggest cause of death for men under 35. And for our second story, we'll be focusing on feminism. 67% of young women and one-third of young men identify as a feminist. We'll be looking at it from a male and female point of view and what does it really mean to be a feminist. So let's get into the first story. So mental health can be a problem that anyone can face. It's the discrimination and stigma that can make people apprehensive to opening up about their experiences. And that's why they need to seek help. Mental health in men continues to be a taboo subject, with many men suffering in silence when they experience feelings of sadness, loneliness or anxiety. So I went to an all boys secondary school and one of the biggest problems that I suffered was having a lot of masculine energy telling me what I need to do to be a man. And a lot of people were afraid of being different. A lot of people just followed the social hierarchy within our school and kind of did what all the other boys did. I'm a deputy young mayor for the Bar of Tower Hamlets, and I also do a podcast thing in my free time. And when I did that in during my secondary school, when I did that around all these boys, a lot of people would say it's cringe, it's where, it's not what a boy should be doing. And that had an effect on my mental well-being. It affected my confidence. And it took me to leave that kind of environment and go from East London to North London in order to be able to do the things that I wanted to enjoy. So it just goes to show that this experience can happen to anyone from a young age. Some of you might have heard of Dean Overson. He was an Islander on Series 4 of Love Island in 2018. Previously, Dean was a footballer turned car salesman and model. Our reporter Chloe interviewed Dean to talk about mental health. Hi, so I'm Chloe. Um, I'm joined here with Dean. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So you may or may not know him um, from Love Island, which is probably the most exclusive thing you've done. Should we go way back and just start with you? When you were younger, you used to play football? Uh, Yeah, like my dad, who was a professional footballer, who had quite a few uh, league league games. He'd made a proper career out of it. Uh, Burnley, captain of Stoke and Birmingham so kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps and my older brother mm. as well, he's four years older than me he was playing through at Burnley at the time yeah. another good footballer so I just wanted to do what my dad and my brother did I loved it, my dad loved it, my brother loved it and I just had my heart set on yeah. being a footballer and you growing yourself up. went on to play for Burnley FC didn't you? I did, so I started with Burnley at 12 years old then I did my uh, two year apprentice or scholarship 
uh, when I was 16. That's what I did when I left school. So I did that for two years. We did like a little college course in between mm. as well, just to get kind of a bit of an education. And was that fun for you? Did you enjoy it? Loved every bit of yeah. it. Apart from, I had a lot of bad luck. So I got yeah. injuries. I broke my ankle, quadruple fracture. Yeah. In my first year, my apprenticeship, when we were playing over in the Milk Cup in Ireland. Um, that must have took a toll on you mentally, though, obviously, because... As a young lad, it did, yeah. It set you back, It set, set me back about a year, because mm. I had to have an operation. So when I was in Ireland, they told me I wouldn't play ever again. And luckily, a private hospital in, in Bolton said that they could do something about yeah. it, get me back playing, so I had to have an operation. Then I had to do my rehab, get fit again. Mm. I had to still play with the screws in my ankle as well, because I was still growing yeah. as a young lad. Did you feel like you were comfortable talking to your teammates or even just any other young men going through the same thing? A, fo a football environment is a lot different to a lot of other environments that you'd expect. It's very fast, it's very, you know, there's a lot of, like, jokers, like, mm. it's, it's very quick wit and it's it's a different kind of a level to where you'd go into a normal work office and things like yeah. that because... It's a bit, it is a bit different, but you speak to the lads all the time. Like, the lads will always be there for you. You can always text the lads after training, or you'll be. Some of them are going through the same thing as you are. So, so you're you kind of. Yeah, you, I about. mean, I've always been comfortable talking about things. I think if you're looking at the mental health kind of side, it's not just about football, it's about anything. Yeah. Well, this will get on to my next point, actually. So, I had a bit of a tough time after football. Yeah. I got promised a lot of things after Bradford. I started to get very depressed with not yeah. just football but a lot of other things going on in my life you were still growing up as well yeah it's just a lot i had a lot to, to deal with it, well i was lucky i went through a really bad spell for about a year hmm. maybe a little bit longer and i went for counseling which i'm yeah. not afraid i'm not i'm not afraid of talking about it to be honest with you yeah. because it's shaped me into the man i am today to be honest with you yeah i've had a lot of setbacks i've had a lot of negative things that have gone on but i've always had that determination in me you feel like you've come out stronger i've come out stronger every yeah. time and yes i've cried yes i've been upset i've gone to parents i've gone to friends i had to go to the professional footballers association yeah. which i'm so lucky to have once I signed with Bradford and Burnley and what have you, once you remember there, you remember for life. Yeah. That, again, was very tough for me to go and approach them and say, listen, I don't know what I'm going to be doing with my career. I've just come out of football. I think it's the end for me. I don't know where to go from next. Yeah. And they did put me through these, these courses with the counselling and what have you. It was just too much to take at that point. But then I managed to get into some sales jobs, just mm. kind of get a routine of... Yeah, I didn't want to do it. It was different. Yeah. I was playing football, waking up, kicking a football around, running around, doing something I enjoyed, yeah. to selling cars or what have you, what I was doing. And did that's you what feel... I kind of did for, yeah. for quite a long time. And it was completely different. But you just sometimes have to accept it for what it is. It's life. Mm. It's up to you how you deal with that. Yeah. And that is something that some people take very well, some people don't take well, but... No matter what anybody can say to you, whether you're going through a bad time or not, it's only it's up to you as an individual to get yourself out of that situation. Yeah. No matter how tough it is, I always thought I owed it to myself as a young person to be happy, no matter how sad I was. There's this big stigma around boys don't cry. Men do cry. Yeah. And I was a boy back then as yeah. well, and I did cry. Yeah. As a man and as a boy, let's say I'm more of a man now, but as a man... I've always been a proud person. That's truthfully. And I don't like to be perceived as like 
being weak or letting other people see your cracks. Sometimes it is hard to reach out as much as you do because you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do it. I've got, I've got yeah. a grit and determination to turn it all around. So obviously, for and some sometimes reason, it, it, it gets even worse. Yeah. You look at it like a bit like a, a volcano. You yeah, know, it, it bottles, kind of goes, bottles up and bottles up and bottles up and bottles up and bottles up, and you're trying your best not to do it, and then right at the end, it just it, it just erupts and exactly. it all comes out. I feel like sometimes that's enough for some people. Like that's that's too much for some I people. I used to deal with stuff like that. I used to bottle it all up inside, and I wouldn't speak to anybody. And, and I, it comes out. And I and I and, and I keep it to myself. Yeah. And I have the determination to make it right or make a change in my life. Yeah. You know, it's like a circle. It's like a vicious circle. Yeah. And if you don't make a change in that circle. It's just going to go round and round again. You're going to have the same problem. Because I feel like girls are seen as the emotional ones as well. Like, obviously, everyone's an emotional person. Like, I feel like that deters boys from kind of being open with themselves and just talking. I think men tend to keep men keep it to themselves. I don't yeah. think women are, are afraid of expressing their emotions as yeah. much. As a man, I wouldn't like to see anybody see me cry. What would you say about the stigma around that, though? And what, what would you... I think it's I think it's very normal. I mean, at the end of the day, we're human beings. Yeah. We all have emotions, whether you're a woman or a man, a boy or a girl. I mean, yeah, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't it shouldn't make a difference. And if yeah. you're not feeling right, then you need to do something about it. And if yeah. you can't do something about it on yourself, you need to seek advice. You yeah. need to speak to somebody. You might not even need to seek advice. You just need to speak to somebody that you trust. Yeah. Who can help you pu- push through. So how how did you get? into doing Love Island how did that come about for you? Instagram actually yeah um, I had a girlfriend and um, they'd messaged me 2017 ignored it obviously right I'm very loyal always, have been. <laughs> always, will, always will be as well um, but no then 2018 we split up me and my girlfriend mm-hmm. but I had no intentions of going on the show it was yeah. really really bizarre how it came about so I was at work one day I come back after a stressful day and I thought you know what I'm newly single, went through my Instagram messages, <laughs> as you do, and I came across the message. So I messaged it back and basically just said, I wasn't single before, I am now, uh, is this to do with Love Island, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if it is, give me a shout. So got a message the next day saying it's uh, one of the producers, yeah. what's your number, let's give you a call. Were you excited about that? Or oh, yeah, were you, I yeah. yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I think, oh, well, it, they, they've replied to me. I said, but thinking what? about how many people are probably applying to that show. Well, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, you were approached for it as well, so <laughs> that must have been flattering for like yeah. No, must I, 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 flattering. I don't think of it like that. I'm, I'm very level-headed, very, yeah. very grounded lad. I'm not. What was that like coming out? Sadly, from Love Island, we've had two suicides, yes. and I feel like that is a big um, focus right now for mm. um, most reality TV shows because obviously Love Island being the main one. Apparently, there's not really been enough support for people who have come out afterwards and have kind of had to deal with like the newfound fame and the mm. trolls and all. Basically, the online bullying. I mean, for myself, I've been quite lucky. Yeah. I couldn't imagine how others feel who've been on there who are really in the limelight. They must have it constantly. Did you take a knock a little bit? I mean, I didn't have a lot of airtime and stuff like that, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. Do you feel like you got enough support as well when you came out? I had enough support from family and friends if I were ever down. Yeah. I mean, as regards to anything else, uh, after, obviously, Mike, bless him, uh, committed suicide, ITV did ring up everybody from the shows. I don't think I had anything to do with anybody 
until the reunion show, really. We'd get the odd email in there. They probably do, like, I mean, I'm saying this as if they don't care or anything like that, because they do, they do care about yeah, the people who've been on there. They do, yeah. But there could have been more done. Yeah. You know, the last thing I, I'm going to say in the scenario is if I was going through a bad time at that point, I wouldn't think, oh, ITV, oh, I need to contact them to then go through that. You know, you don't remind yourself, you don't even think about stuff like that when you're in a rut. Yeah. You know, yeah. you think, oh, who can I like? like you, you leech onto something to try and make you feel better. And rather than going to this big company for help, you'd rather turn to your friends or family, wouldn't you? you? Yeah. yeah. So people who may or may not have that support would turn to big companies or may not have anyone to turn to and I feel like that's where people kind of get themselves in that little... Yeah. And I feel like there should be more things done, especially using social media as well because I feel like platforms such as Instagram, which you've got a quite quite a big following on, and Facebook and Twitter... If influencers or just anyone even it, it just created something on social media or just tried to spread the word, we could use that for a lot of useful things. Definitely. I agree with you 100% mm. on that. My friend um, campaigns for mental health, mm. Manuel. He's been through a hell of a lot. Yeah. There's Manuel. Uh, Manuelness, if you, anybody yeah, wanted yeah, to look yeah. him up on Instagram and what he's done and what he's been through. He's actually set up a charity and he does like get fit for mental health and the guy's an absolute credit to himself but he's had people with different problems in their lives and stuff and they all come together and he helps them hmm. and he's I do want to get on board with him when it's I get an amazing when, when it, he, thing he, to he, do yeah I, 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 do, I do want to get involved with it yeah. I mean I've mentioned it something back over in Burnley as well yeah. I think platforms are there for a reason and there's this word influencer that flies around yeah. and I mentioned it to you earlier influencing is influencing people in the right way yeah you know you see somebody wearing a pair of clothes nice clothes that's not that's not influencing do you feel like people should use their platforms for more helpful things such as mental health of course I should, of course I do yeah and yeah. I think people who actually receive it should be doing more of it yeah so, but it just depends who you are as a person. Like some people yeah. might not want to get involved with that. I genuinely would. Yeah. Not for the sake of that, it's because of what I've been through personally myself. Mm. And I've been through quite a lot. Yeah. And I feel as in with my background and what have you, yeah, everybody else's stories are different, but I think I could help other people. Yeah. Younger lads as well, young, younger girls. And it's just, I just... Don't, I think people should just not be scared to say yeah. what they feel and just come out with it. Yeah. So, being sort of so what's your advice then for people, just anyone, young people in particular, and especially young boys, what is your advice to to kind of combat mental health? Um, I, think, I think a big factor of it is social media. When, don't, yeah, don't, when don't, watching don't shows every, like Love Island But don't, don't believe everything that you see. Be happy with yourself. Don't yeah, compare yourself you to, to anybody else. I think you, each individual on this planet is living their own life. Yeah. Make yourself happy. Make the people around you happy. doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody because mm. everybody's on their own journey. That's the only advice I would give on that, yeah. on that matter. Well, thank you so much for joining no, thank us thank you. Today. Thank you again. Thank um, you for having It was me. great to have you on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank um, you. <laughs> thanks. No problem at all. <laughs> Thank you, Dean Overson and our reporter, Chloe Taylor. It was a super fascinating conversation about toxic masculinity and men being able to express their feelings. 
In this section, we're going to get the team together to reflect on the process of making this podcast, what we learn, where they face challenges and what they'll do next time. It's basically a look at the story behind the story. So Lottie did all the background research into men's mental health. She talks about how she felt whilst researching the topics and how much she enjoyed it. When starting the research, I was really excited um, because one was a topic, feminism, that I knew well and one, men's mental health, that I didn't. And I was so excited to educate myself further and educate other people. And I think that NCS was a perfect platform to use to do that really enjoyed researching as it allowed me to gain skills I'd be able to use in the industry like referencing a bibliography but also just to learn something new and to educate myself further to become a more active and positive member in society. Chloe did the interview with Dean. She explains how she felt whilst preparing the interview questions and how she found the interview. I was quite nervous because I'd never actually done a formal interview like that before. So I kind of kept the interview questions in like a conversational style. That was the challenging part, I think, because I'd never done anything like that before. Just making sure I was asking the right, right questions to get the right answers. But all in all, the interview was really, really good. I really enjoyed myself at first. I was really nervous. It was really conversational, which was really good. And I feel like that really flowed well, especially because we're talking about such a serious subject. I feel like talking in that kind of style really helped relax him when he was talking about things that he, you know, he might not feel amazingly comfortable talking about, but to get awareness, it was really good. It was a really great experience. It was a great starting point as well, I feel. And to get to talk to someone like Dean, who has been through an experience like Love Island and who has a lot to say about things that we advocate for, like obviously boys' mental health and stuff like that, it, it was just really interesting and eye-opening to get someone else's perspective on it and someone who's actually been through it themselves. So, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience altogether and I really, really enjoyed it and I can't wait to do the next podcast. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. In this next story, we're going to be focusing on feminism. What does it really mean? Is it just a women-only movement? Feminism has several definitions, but the most simplistic way of defining the term is the equality of the sexes. We held a panel discussion in our Something Else studios. Our reporter Tapiwa led the discussion with Salma, an award-winning writer and journalist, Bethel from Girl Up, and me. My name is Tapiwa Cronin and today we're going to talk about feminism. Feminism to me is the pursuit of gender equality between men and women. Of course, this definition has expanded to include people who are gender non-conforming, but essentially means that we want gender equality in all cases. We don't want anyone to be discriminated against or more privileged because of the gender that they have. So historically, it's achieved a lot. Feminism has typically been associated with, you know, women's suffrage and their fight for the vote. And since then, it's allowed women to enter workplaces. Before I get too into it, I'm going to go around the table and introduce everyone. So starting from you. Hi, I'm Salma. Um, I'm a multi-award winning writer and journalist. And I'm also a contributing author of the Amazon bestseller, It's Not About the Burqa which is out in payback next week. Hello, I'm Bethel. I'm a 17-year-old filmmaker, women's rights activist and Girl Up Teen Advisor. 
Hi, my name is Mohsin. I'm just like your typical guy. <laughs> I'm one of your presenters for the Youth Rising podcast with NTS. Salma, could you tell us a little bit about feminism? Yeah, absolutely. I think feminism for me is just respecting all women's choices. It's literally that simple. So if someone wants to be a housewife or they want to be a career woman or they want to have 10 plastic surgeries in one day, the whole point is that they get to choose and we respect their choice. What does it mean to you, Bethel? Feminism to me is about achieving gender equality between men and women and involving people from different cultures, different sexualities, different races, involving everyone. I mean, I'm a male, so I don't see as much of the um, inequality being a male. I think there are aspects in our society where women are underprivileged. And so being a male, I don't necessarily get to see that perspective. But I think that feminism is about achieving, again, like you guys said, equality. And I think the important word that um, Salma said was choice. I think it's about that. I also think that it's about equality, but there are some exceptions. That there are some instances where absolute equality might not necessarily be met. But generally speaking, I do agree that there should be gender equality between men and women. Seeing as though we have such a diverse panel of people, I think we should just ask the question, do you guys all identify as a feminist? Absolutely, but my feminism is, is just like yours is entirely intersectional. We can't have a very white Western kind of approach to feminism, which is what I've seen for the past decade or so. It needs to incorporate all women, including their class, including their gender, including their kind of diverse and complex backgrounds. When I think of feminism today in today's climate, I see it as very middle class feminism that doesn't incorporate the needs of women at all and that's something that I still think needs to be worked on. So seeing as though feminism has always had that kind of middle class white kind of stigma attached to it how do you as a person of colour find yourself identifying as a feminist? Yeah I think that's a great question. Uh, For me feminism has been entirely co-opted by the kind of white western middle class movement but I first got into feminism because I actually read a lot of black feminism and that's how I got into it. So I read a lot of bell hooks. When I started to read that, at the same time, this very white middle class feminism was actually becoming mainstream and becoming really cool. And they were at complete odds with each other. So I don't think feminism needs to be so prescriptive as this is the way that we see it. Like I said, it's been very co-opted. So I think it's absolutely possible for every woman to identify as a feminist. Like I said, that's how I got into feminism. doesn't mean that is the right feminism. I don't know if it's a right or wrong feminism, but I do think that a very kind of a woman of colour growing up in inner city London can't see feminism as something for them if it's just completely like, oh, empowerment is like bath bombs and self-care. That's miles away from what feminism to me is, which is because I grew up on a really theoretical feminism because I did my degree in sociology and I was really interested in women's studies. So for someone who doesn't maybe have that academic or theoretical background they might see feminism in the mainstream and go this doesn't apply to me which I think is a real shame because I think feminism is quite literally for everybody. So Bethel do you identify as a feminist and if so for how long? So before I didn't really identify as a feminist because I didn't know much about it I didn't know what it was. I think I started identifying as a feminist when I was about 14 years old and that was because of the Girl Up campaign where I was given the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and attend a leadership summit. And I had no idea what it was about. But then it kind of opened my eyes that there's inequality in developing countries. For example, if there's a family and there's a boy and a girl, 
they have to choose which one to go to school. They'll always send the boy to school and the girl will have to stay at home, probably get married off at a young age, go through terrible things such as female genital mutation and they don't have that opportunity in life. That really like affected me knowing that that happens and that's when I started getting into feminism and learning more what it's about and I wanted to focus on feminism in developing countries. We can look at feminism in the first world but there are other people that we need to think about. So do you find yourself still feeling as passionate about issues that happen in the first world as you say? Yeah definitely because I'm surrounded by women, girls every single day. I grew up in a house with four sisters and there are a lot of problems that happen and we don't tackle. So for example period poverty. It's a topic that not many people talk about, but it's there. So many homeless people, they don't have access to basic sanitary products. The tax on sanitary products, sanitary products are seen as a luxury and there's high tax and so many people don't have access to these things, even in first world countries, which is a big problem. Mission, how long Have you identified as a feminist if you do? When it comes to feminism, because as Salma said, there's different aspects of feminism. And so because there's been so many waves of feminism, calling yourself a feminist, it can be quite controversial to some people. What wave of feminism are you associating yourself with? Is it first wave? Is it second wave? Is it third wave? Fourth wave? And now even fifth wave. (laughs) And so... I definitely believe in gender equality for the most part. I think that it's really important that we have equality in the workplaces. We, you know, we have like the pay should be equal. You know, I genuinely think that we need to have more equality. We need to push for that. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a negative connotation with feminism. I think a lot of people, even women, don't want to identify themselves as feminists because it's seen as extreme, it's seen as quote-unquote man-hating. I think should that narrative of feminism change, that's when we'd see a shift in more people identifying as feminists. But because there's been so much controversy, there's been so much contradiction between feminism movements and the waves of feminism, that kind of puts a lot of people off. Feminism applies in so many different contexts and is so complicated that in different countries our understandings and perspectives of feminism changes you know if you go to middle east what they see as women's rights will be different to you know the west you know in the west it's far more liberal and i think i completely agree with women's choice so long as women have the choice to do the things that they want to do and there's less barriers in place, I think that's where we can start to create a change. So currently, do you think the controversy is worth it in identifying as a feminist? So currently, would you? I, I, with the whole movement, I completely agree with so much of it. But with the controversy, I think it can be problematic. Subscribing to the whole feminist movement, I think... I'm too ignorant and I don't understand enough of it for me to be like, I'm a feminist 100%, but I would 100% say I believe in, you know, equality, but I must, I must be as humble as possible and be like, there's so much to it that I still need to learn. So that's what I would say. So Mushin talked a lot about how feminism is different when applied to different places in the world. So how do you think race and ethnicity plays a part in people's experience? of their gender in society. As in, in relation to feminism? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting when you kind of talk about 
you're kind of hesitant to even identify as a feminist because when I did, when I was in my teens, it was a really dirty word. It actually was because I wanted to go to uni and I wanted to do women's studies as my undergrad. I mean, I did want to do sociology, obviously, but that was what I wanted to do. And there were no courses. This wasn't something that was acceptable, but you might be able to see more of that now. But going back to the question, I find that um, a lot of women are kind of in top jobs in the workplace claim, oh, feminism has been achieved. Oh, look, women are at the top now. But when we look at these women at the top, they are often white, middle class, have had a certain kind of level of privilege to be able to get there. What about other women who've not had identical privileges? Then, of course, race and gender comes into this. Before you, you said that you might not have identified as feminist. Yeah. I think that's like, that's the kind of point I'm making is you can only identify yourself with feminism once you start to get to grips with the whole idea. Do you agree with that? Or? That's quite interesting. I think feminism is something that you subscribe to if you feel it applies to you and is accessible. Mm. Like I said, a lot of women of colour are disproportionately affected by, say, poverty. That's something that a lot of women that aren't women of colour are not. Yeah. So I think lived experience is real and lived experiences and seeing and feminism is trying to open up opportunities for you. Therefore, I can subscribe to that. But outside of that, if I hadn't had any kind of experiences that were kind of setbacks, say, yeah. then and not understood feminism, which is, again, about choice, then I might not have subscribed to it. So do you feel as though you need to like understand when it, if it applies to you and that's when you can subscribe to it? Not always. I still think you can be an ally, which is what you could be. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, definitely, I definitely agree. I agree with that, I think. But... Without understanding it, how can you see when it applies to you? Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely, but you can also empathise as well yeah, yeah, yeah. and be an ally. So you might be able to perceive something or notice or maybe observe something that isn't your real and lived experiences, but doesn't mean that that's not relevant to you. You should be figuring out ways in which you can assist, exactly, if that yeah. makes sense. Exactly, and I, I completely agree with you. There's, yeah. Like I said, I'm a male, so there's some situations that I completely don't understand, I won't understand because I'm just a male and I won't see those yeah. inequalities of being a female. I think I can definitely empathise and understand the situation and that's when I can back it. Do you see? Yeah. We've heard from Salma, we've heard from Musin about their perspectives on feminism. But now we want to hear from Bethel, who's a teen advisor for Girl Up, which is an international charity. What barriers do girls from developing countries face? Um, so I touched on this topic earlier on, but when you asked me that question, the main barriers that come to my mind are access to education and FGM and child marriage. And I think, especially in developing countries, a lot of girls don't have this access to education and it comes down to culture, girls having to stay at home. And I think that this is really sad because there's so much potential in women that people fail to see just because they're women. And something that the Girl Up campaign has actually been doing to actually give girls this access to education, which I think is so practical, is um, something called school cycle. A lot of the barriers that come into place when it comes to education is the distance and actually getting to school because a lot of the time it's unsafe these girls have to walk long journeys so they provide bicycles for the girls so they can get to school safely and they're not tired when they get to school and they can get back home in time so I think that's really important another barrier as well in developing countries is FGM a lot of the time these girls don't have the choice but they're forced to have this 
surgical procedure and it's it's not done by doctors it's not done by medical professions it's just done and I feel like it strips them from their dignity it takes their voice away from them because they don't go into it willingly it's just forced upon them so we've talked a lot about how girls from developing countries face severe issues because of their gender so how can western feminists help so I feel like When Western countries are getting involved in developing countries, it's a bit of a blur zone because a lot of the time Western countries are known for going to developing countries and providing solutions that are short term or not practical. So I think, first of all, it's really important to provide a practical solution that will help these women long time and not just in the moment. So one thing I feel like could help is actually going into the countries and teaching them these skills so these skills can be passed on, not just going there and giving them a temporary solution. I also think the idea, which I mentioned earlier, of like the school cycle, providing these bicycles, being made in those countries so it helps for the economic growth and it gives these girls the access to education that they need. Yes, I think those two are two really key ways in which people from Western countries can get involved in developing countries. So we've spoken a lot about how girls from different places in the world experience gender issues. We've spoken about how women of colour within Western society experience gender difficulties or inequality. And we've spoken about how men approach feminism you know, sometimes being hesitant, sometimes being ready to charge and what have you. The theme being inclusivity. So how do you think, and this is an open question for everyone to jump in on, how do you think we can make feminism more inclusive and more accessible? I think just just as being a boy, and this is just offering one perspective, is that it's because of how I've grown up that I have one perspective of feminism. You know, when it comes to feminism, it's really, really good having, you know, women coming together, empowering each other. But I haven't been included enough in the whole movement. I feel as though when it comes to school, how often are we teaching boys about feminism? I feel as though the conversation is always like, oh, this is what women have done in your life. This is what what feminism is. And um, I'm telling you, this is what you should be believing in. And it's important for you guys to believe in it. But how often are we actually being taught, all right, if you treat a woman like this, this is how you're going to make them feel. It's not enough of a conversation between men and women, not enough of a conversation between, it feels as though it's like women telling men what feminism is rather than trying to understand what holds them back from it. And In order for us to move forward, we need men and women to be fighting together. And that's when it's more powerful. Right now, from a male perspective, a lot of males, I know myself, feel as though feminism is an attack on men and it's women attacking men, women trying to take power from men. And that's not the truth. And I think that's the narrative that's being portrayed in the public. And so as soon as we start including more men in the conversation and we start saying, this is the impact you're having on women rather than this is what women have done in your life life that's when we can start moving forward that's what I think I think that's interesting I do think the mainstream feminism movement doesn't make a conscious enough effort to include men and for men to realize that they can be part of this movement I mean 
if you think about it, like the kind of horrifying stats on suicide, male suicide, that's a feminist issue. And that's something that we should all be joining forces to kind of stand against mm. and, to, and to work towards. I think, I mean, we're going back to the main point. I think a lot of men are turned off by the idea of feminism because it's so conflated with man-hating and getting one up on women, especially with the kind of Me Too movement as well. Maybe men are a bit... They don't know where they can stand on these like, issues. Did, did as you well. see the hashtag Men Too? Oh, yeah. It's like, I feel as though the Me Too movement, yeah, it's great, don't get me wrong, but it didn't include men enough. Whereas when men like had to make their own movement Men Too. So I feel as though there needs to be more inclusiveness with men and women together. Do you agree? Absolutely. But I, do you see um, the issue is, is that whenever there's an issue that affects women and predominantly affects women, men do always have to join in as if to suggest, oh, what about us? Mm. And that's not a criticism. There is a huge um, issue with men being kind of sexually abused as well and something that we definitely need to tackle. And feminists as well need to work together, kind of take a stance against that as well. But I do think it is important that we try to bring men in to the conversation. But I think what remains right now is how we go about doing that. And Mm. I think that's where we're kind of at a roadblock with. Do you think that some women don't even understand feminism for what it truly is? Because... This is just one perspective and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Some women, they use feminism as a like a weapon or like a card that they can put on the table. They'll be like, because I, I went to secondary school that was all boys. And when we had supply teachers, when it'd be a male, you know, typically if you're a student and you went to secondary school, you'd understand that when a supply teacher comes in, you mess around, isn't it? <laughs> so all the students would be messing around and it'd be a male teacher and, you know, the class would mess around. When a woman teacher would come in, you know, the class would also mess around and it's not because she's a woman, but because it's a supply teacher. And I feel as though, you know, there's an argument that some women, like I've had this statement thrown at me is, oh, is it because I'm a woman? That's why you're messing around. Or I've had the statement of, oh, you wouldn't understand because you're not a woman. So do you feel as though when it comes to feminism, some women aren't taking it as seriously and seeing the true value of it. Some women are just being like, is it because I'm a woman now? Is it? You wouldn't understand. What's you definitely your... are playing devil's advocate right here. You, what's, your, what's your opinions on that? <laughs> um, that's quite interesting, but I don't think we should um, uh, state that every woman doesn't have a grasp of feminism. Like like we kind of demonstrate on this table, every one of us have a completely different idea of what feminism means to them. So to suggest that a woman doesn't understand feminism is kind of a sweeping statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mansplaining statement yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. But I'm just saying definitely. <laughs> um, but a lot of people have different ideas of what feminism is to them. But that doesn't mean that if a woman is like, I'm a woman, that downgrades her feminism. It's mm. just a different idea of what feminism means to her. And that suggests that women don't have a grasp of feminism is mansplaining sorry no i mean like some so but you can't you, you can make the argument that some women don't understand it completely like i know so many women that oh. would say would say i don't want to be a feminist but i believe in equality so maybe to understand feminism is seeing it as it's not man-hating some people think that feminism is man-hating yeah so is there an argument there that, that just sheds light on how feminism takes different meanings for every single different woman mm-hmm so there's not this one definition. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be a one definition anyway, because like I said, feminism means different things for different women, because a lot of women that identify as feminists got into feminism through very different ways. Like suggest that one woman's idea of what feminism means is somehow inferior to another is but mistaken. This is this is a complete learning curve for me. So I'm just going to ask you, like, what does that mean to you? I personally think that you don't have to understand the whole movement or everything 
within feminism to be a feminist. When I became a feminist, I didn't know much about it. Mm. I was also learning, like you said, and I still am learning. I still don't know everything. But I think that learning process is important and it's almost satisfying knowing, like getting the the answer to the questions that you were always wondering. Mm. So, okay, so what's the tips? How do we actually include more men in the conversation and how do we limit that hesitation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of men need to realise that, again, feminism means different things to different women. But for the most part, a lot of men have a very prescriptive idea of what feminism is, which still needs to be challenged. I think, what's re- again, what's really important is that men need to also recognise that women are also fighting their corner as well. So we're trying to lift men up to join the movement, as opposed to trying to split the genders and trying to make this into a gender war. And I think that's what's making things really, really tough right now, for more men to be encouraged to join something that is quite accessible. I mean, we're stronger together. Yeah. A key issue we've almost touched on here is the link between identification, identifying as a feminist and being a part of the movement. So do you think, honestly, just going around the table, that identifying as a feminist is completely necessary to being a part of the movement? Yeah, absolutely. I also agree. So we have Moose in here who does not identify as a feminist. So... He says that he believes in gender equality. How do we feel I was just going to say, I don't understand people that say they believe in gender equality but don't believe in feminism. I know a lot of women that say this and it boggles the mind because the meaning of feminism is equality between the sexes. So if you believe in equality between the sexes, you are automatically a feminist, whether you identify as one or not. do 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 we have to identify as a feminist? I mean, if I'm pushing for women's equality and I completely believe in it, and I'm trying to advocate for it. Why do I have to say I'm a feminist? Why can't I just push for my own values and have my own beliefs? I don't think anyone's forcing you to identify as a feminist. But if your core values lead towards feminism, if then why not identify as a feminist? What makes you scared? Yeah, Yeah. like... Are you scared to identify as a feminist? Do you still think that people are going to look down on you? Do you still think it's stigmatised? I don't think it's that case. I just feel as though being a feminist hasn't, like there's no objective definition of it. And so therefore, because it's not concrete enough, I don't want to necessarily say that I'm a feminist and then someone interprets it one way and another person interprets it that way. Why can't I just push for equality? Why can't I just believe in women's rights? Because it's so flexible in definition, I just feel as though on a personal level, I need some sort of stability, some sort of concreteness in definition for me to associate myself with it. Do you you see where I'm coming from? I think it's a journey and that I might not identify as a feminist right now, but when I start learning more about it, that's when I can maybe in the future identify as a feminist or other men can identify as a feminist. Men are learning just the same way that women are learning. And it's this kind of conversation when we're all talking about it, understand it from each other, that we can be on the same wavelength and have the same goal. That's what I think. In that being said, I think we should acknowledge that this is a majority female panel and Musin over here is holding it down for the whole males. <laughs> I'm just one guy out, out of many. Oh my god. Um, I think we're going to cut him some slack in this scenario and recognise that it's been a heated discussion. We've had a variety of opinions. But just to finish off on something which I think could be positive, if we exclude the word man-hating, what do you think feminism is in one word? Choice. I was literally about to say choice. <laughs> choice, I agree. Choice. It's unanimous. All right. 
So on this episode of Youth Rising by NCS, we have heard from Salma, Bethel and Musin. I think it's been a great discussion. I've certainly enjoyed it. I'm sure you have. I mean, you might be a little bit triggered right now, but, you know, I'm good. <laughs> I think me and Musin are going to talk after this, but, you know, I think... <laughs> I think I'm going to join in, to be fair. I think it's been a good episode and a good, a good first one for our group at that. So I'd like to thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Salma, Bethel and our NCS reporter Tapiwa who led the discussion. And as you heard there, there was plenty of varying opinions in the room when we sat down to have a chat. The thing that I took away the most was it's important for us to have a conversation with men and women. And in that way, we can move forward as a society. Once again, we're peeking behind the curtains of the podcast process and hearing from a number of members on the team about their experience. Tapio was leading the panel's discussion. She talks about what she enjoyed most and what she felt was most challenging. The thing I loved most about chairing a discussion on feminism was the ability to hear so many different opinions, which I wouldn't necessarily be exposed to. One of the challenges I faced was trying not to get triggered and at the very least not letting that guide my question. So, you know, aka not attacking Moosin. Um, it was hard to not participate in the debate because I was also supposed to ask the questions and not necessarily answer them. So, Thank you for joining us on our second episode of the Youth Rising podcast by NTS. Each episode, we'll be bringing you stories that matter to young people. Next week, we're going to be discussing prison reform and the effect of social media. If you've been inspired by the stories in this podcast, visit wearencs.com to find out how you can get involved. Youth Rising. Youth Rising. Youth Rising. By NCS.